0: How's it going? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I will be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And today our guest is Captain Connor Bryant of Tidal Water Guide Service, located in Folly Beach, South Carolina. And uh, in this episode, we take a deep dive on two different sides of the tide. So we talk about flood tide fishing, what we like to throw at Taylor's the angles of approach, and we talk, we talk about both fly and spin fishing, and then on the opposite side, we also talk about low tide fishing for redfish. How do you how do you target those fish that are belly crawling down the bank? How do you target them when they're just coming up and hitting something on the bank and pulling off, and you never really quite get a really good feel for for where they are? Uh, so those are some of the the subjects that we talk about in this one, and I do want to apologize. I've been sick for about a week. So you might have to put up with me coughing a little bit here and there. Um, but nevertheless, hope you enjoy, and uh, we'll see you soon.
1: If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike strike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike strike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, I-Strike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly ramp talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show.
0: Captain Connor, how you doing, man?
2: I'm good, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've been, um, trying to get you on here for a while and it really, it was due to my, um, I don't know what you call it. Uh, an organization trying to schedule you and, uh, having to move it around quite a few times, but I appreciate your patience.
2: No problem at all, man. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So, um, kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up here where, where I'm, based in Wilmington, North Carolina, or at least you live for a period of time here in Wilmington, North Carolina, and then you moved to Charleston?
2: No, so uh, I was born in Wilmington. When I was around 12, we decided to, uh, we moved to Little River, South Carolina, okay. um, which is about an hour south of Wilmington, and then we stayed there. I didn't, uh, we came to Charleston a lot, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Essentially, North Myrtle Beach.
0: Got it. Okay, so where where are you based out of now?
2: Uh, Folly Beach.
0: Folly Beach. Okay, so that's just
2: south of Charleston. Just south of
0: Charleston. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. So when you were um, when you were living in South Carolina in the Myrtle Beach area, was, was that like McClellansville type of? Is that the same area?
2: No. So Little River is just north of uh myrtle beach it's a small fishing town it's kind of like it, it's similar to like a calabash north carolina okay um it, it's kind of like mcclellanville but just well now it's it's pretty booming but when i was growing up it was it was kind of like mcclellanville but just a little bigger okay got it. and just on the other side of the uh intercoastal waterway from north myrtle beach
0: okay and so how did you, did you get into fishing when you were here in, in Wilmington, Was it or was it in not until you moved to South Carolina?
2: Yeah, so my dad, is, he's always been a big boater, and then my grandpa's been a big fisherman. Um, and I used to stay with my grandparents a lot in the summertime, because, you know, they would kind of help out with watching my sister and I when we were kids, and then Um, my grandpa was a really big freshwater fisherman and my dad didn't care anything about freshwater and wanted to only fish saltwater. So, uh, I grew up just fishing in general. Um, so that was, I kind of got a good sense of, or I guess a good, good time spent on fresh and good time spent on salt, um, between my dad and my grand and my grandparents. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I started fishing when I was in Wilmington.
0: Got it. Um, so then you, you had a little base in freshwater, you had a little base in, in saltwater, and then at what point did you decide that you were going to start a, uh, a charter service? So That
2: was actually a little bit later on down the road. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I used to always say, I, just, I want to grow up and I want to be a professional fisherman. I want to be a professional fisherman. But um, in Carolina, it was kind of you didn't really see a lot of the inshore guides when I was growing up. It was all, if you're going to be anything in the fishing industry, it was going to be like an offshore captain or, uh, you know, like what most kids, they want to be one of those fancy bass, bath, <laughs> bath master guys, the glittery boats and stuff. And, um, so I, I, to me, that was always kind of like, I would love to do it, but I didn't grow up living on a lake or anything like that. So, um, it was always, it was a dream, but as I got older and older, my priorities changed and I always loved being on the water. Um, I just didn't want to know what I wanted to do when I to, like to put me on the water. Um, so when I, when we, when we first moved to Little River, my parents came to me and were, they were like, you yeah, know, in a couple of years, you're going to, you're going to want a vehicle. So you should probably look for a job and start saving up. If you, you get your own vehicle, we'll pay for your insurance. And I was kind of like, nah, that's, yeah, that's a cool, that's a good deal. <laughs> deal. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I had a buddy that his dad was a captain, um, on a, a, it was just a fishing headboat, the hurricane fleet in Calabash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so on Saturdays and Sundays, um, when we, you know, we didn't have school, I would work as a mate on a headboat. Um, with those. And that taught me a lot with the offshore fishing and, uh, getting to know the captains and their paths and stuff. And even as a kid, I was just obsessed with it. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and I think that whole plan with my parents, it really backfired because on Saturdays and Sundays when they wanted to sleep in, I was waking them up at like four o'clock in the morning cause I needed a ride <laughs> to ride to, to the dock. <laughs> um, so I started, I started working on boats that way and, Still, I mean, I just absolutely loved it. Um, And then just to fast forward, later on, I joined the Coast Guard. um, And then got definitely got some time on boats doing that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And did some fishing. That uh, that put me in Pennsylvania. Did some fishing up in Pennsylvania. um, And then Virginia and the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, I got out, and then I worked in marine conservation law enforcement. Which is super cool, and that was that kept me on the water all the time, um, whether it was, you know fishing, it really didn't anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was an awesome job, and at that point it was kind of like, man, I'm out here and wearing boots and pants and a gun belt and stuff, and these dudes are coming in having a blast, and you know these these charter captains, mm-hmm. that's that that seems like way more fun. <laughs> um, and I had a one of the, my really close buddies in uh, little river at the time he had just started an inshore uh charter charter business uh captain jesse vereen and i talked to him he's like yeah man people people love coming out here and catching redfish I'm like yeah, yeah people do that people like they they want to go out and catch redfish like that's that's the thing yeah man you got to try it and so that was that was when it was kind of like all right well we're gonna we're gonna do that and so uh we came back home to South Carolina and that's when I went ahead and just started, um, started fishing and taking people out part-time. Um, and so I really got, got my, everything rolling. Cause you know, if you know, the bills don't stop. Mm-hmm. And, um, once I kind of built it up to where I had a good clientele, um, great support system and stuff, it, it was like, all right, time to pull the trigger and let's do it full time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Never look back.
2: No, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> once you, once you taste, once you taste a little freedom, it's hard to go back. It um, is.
2: It really is. Every really, so often, it seems like a job, but <laughs> yeah, de-
0: yeah, it definitely can. It's a lot. It's a lot more work than I think a lot of people think it is. Um, I always say, like you probably, I think this is pretty common in the in the guiding industry, at least for. Inshore fishing trips or, or fly fishing trips for inshore for redfish and whatnot. But a lot of people offer four, four hours, six hours, or eight hours. And as far as the work is concerned, a four hour day is really six hours. A six hour day is eight hours, and an eight hour day is 10 hours. <laughs> when you include Absolutely. like the time that it takes to gear up, clean a boat, go to the gas station, come back, clean it again, you know, so on and so forth. Um,
2: and then not including the time you spent finding the fish for the loop, yeah, yeah, that's, the not even, that's not even <laughs>
0: included in the equation. Um, but I do want to get back to one thing you said quickly. Is just you said when you grew up here in uh, in North Carolina, it seemed like nobody inshore fished or or um, especially sight fished. I would say, uh, and I right. feel the same way because you know I grew up here as well, um, and I can't remember. Time went like as a kid, um, going knowing anyone that really dedicated a lot of time to going inshore fishing. I mean, people did it, um, but it wasn't that often, and it just seemed like everybody here was an offshore fisherman or just wanted to catch king mackerel, uh, which still sometimes (laughs) seems the case. I mean, king mackerel is still extremely popular in North Carolina, um, in, in Wilmington in particular. But it, yeah, the the inshore scene has really kind of blown up in the last, gosh, I don't know, six to eight years, I would think.
3: It's um, crazy. I mean, if,
2: if you saw a Poland skiff, it's because you're watching Flip on Saturday morning, right? <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't because you're out on in the, the intercoastal or snows cut or anything like that. It, you know, those that's all Carolina skiffs. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 cool though. It, it's awesome to see a lot of these Poland skiffs and people kind of. um giving different techniques to try and you know, it's just more exploring. Yeah,
3: you
0: know? that's right. That's right. Um, well, unlike a lot of the other podcasts I've done recently, where it's just a kind of a hodgepodge of, of different questions <laughs> and in conversations, I did want to get, um, a little bit granular with this one, if you will, on, um, we're, we're going to talk t- about flood tide fishing and then on the opposite side of things we're going to talk about low tide fishing um obviously the the way you fish is a little bit different and where you're where you're living now is is also i would say kind of known as one of the uh, you know a kind of a world renowned flood tide fishery um south carolina as a whole i would say um mm-hmm. so let's start with flood tides and I think we can. I think we can dive pretty deep on this because a lot of times we. T- I've I've touched on this in the past, and I know Judd has touched on it in the past, but I don't know how how like much time we've actually spent really really um, getting granular with this, and like how, what are the angles of approach, and you know how quiet do you really have to be, and 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 so forth. So um, let's start off with like. Okay, that it's just high enough to get your boat in the grass or to get your nose of the boat in the grass. What do you what's your plan of attack? Um what fly do you have on for when, you know, the the grass isn't, you know, super underwater yet and trying to get a fly in there can be a little tricky, you know, you like to get a gurgler in there for instance when the tide is still not quite high enough to really um get get your boat in there completely you know what have you so i don't know just take us through take us through the steps of your of your flood tide fishing
2: okay so a lot of the flats that i target for flood tides are flats that are off of uh other creek systems it's not just like main main river flats so um normally in the area i fish at it i like I like getting away um, and finding those fish. So, a lot of them, I'll I'll focus on areas where the Spartina coming off of your main uh, creek system is like it's going to be a little thinner. So that if you if you can't get the boat in it, at least you can always throw your bow into kind of like onto that entrance of the flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending on your the grass that you're fishing, a lot of times. I'm going to get away from those D chain eyes and those really light eyes. And I'm going to go to a fly that's going to have, um, heavier lead, something that's going to punch through the grass. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely a weedless fly. And just because it's weedless does not mean it's Spartina less. Um,
0: (laughs) there is no, there is no fully weedless fly. I'm pretty convinced. No,
2: no. And I always have, you know, if it's, if I have an, an angler on the bow that's, you know, a very experienced fly fisherman, I'll have them have, some tippet in their pocket and a few extra flies up there with them,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, so that when you get on the bow, if you're on a flat with me, if you're on the bow, you're going to stay on the bow unless we're moving or you absolutely have to get off the bow, just so there's less water movement with that boat rocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm a I'm a sucker for any fly with a zonker. A lot of times with flood uh, flood tide fishing and chasing these tailing fish. The fly, the, I've yet to find the perfect circumstance. Um, every situation I've been in, it's always kind of been, we've been winging it uh, for most of our shots where it's, you know, you'll have a patch of grass, a patch of grass, and, you know, your line's always going to be over top of it. I always tell my anglers, don't worry about that. Your, your main focus is making sure that hook is in a good approach to that fish, and you want the fish to find it. You mm-hmm. don't want to throw it into its mouth. Um, So Zonker is awesome because sometimes you're throwing into a pocket that's just a few inches wide with this on these grass flats. So you want something that's going to bring you with a lot of movement without actually moving the fly, if that makes sense. Um, And with Zonker, with, you know, just the water movement itself, is going to move that Zonker strip around, which that That helps a lot because a lot of these fish they're up looking for crabs and mudworms, and they're you know they're facing down they're they're looking for something to hit
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, so that's that's normally what I have on is going to be something that's going to be heavier fly um, my two favorite colors I like a black and purple, and i'm for some reason i I love natural colored uh, flies i've had really good luck with those
3: mm-hmm.
2: um when Most of my casts, I I like to try to get my angler, again, in a perfect world, um, if they can aim about two, two and a half feet in front of that fish, um, and then just little tiny pools on that fly line, just to add enough movement for that zonker to come alive, and just wait on the explosion.
0: So when you um, are having someone cast at a fish that's tailing, explain to me... How you like the the fly to move? Like when you say when you say just a teeny amount of movement, is it like like fast little twitches, or is it like slow long twitches or slow long strips? Like is it a kind of a like a three inch slow pull, or is it like tick 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 tick?
2: I like tick. I like doing like that little tick a lot. But it also, I mean, again, it depends on if it's a fish that sees the fly or if, if the fish is focusing on something else and you're trying to draw its attention, if it's, um, if it's, a, if it's a, fish that's focused on something else, do, you know, do your little three inch pulls, um, to, to make it move more to draw a little bit more attention over to that fly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but if it's a fish, if, if, you know, you get the angler to cast in front of the fish, the fish is on that straight path of that fly. Just little ticks is all you really need because, I mean, they're hunting. That's what they're doing.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it' something that I have learned over the years, I guess, is, or, you know, I'm not saying this is the right way to do it by any means, but something that has worked for me um, in, in, with flood tide fishing and with just normal, you know, red tide or <laughs> red tide. with normal red drum fishing (laughs) when you're fly fishing for them is I like kind of slower longer strips and a lot of times they'll just eat it like that right but if you get one that comes up and he's looking at it and he's starting to follow it then I go to the twitch 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 twitch, like those little fast ticks just to try and get a reaction bite out of them um, yeah, I think that, I think right. go ahead and
2: hit it now or you're going to lose it forever. Right. Right. Um, yeah,
0: I think the same thing applies to, to flood type fishing for sure. And I think you brought up a really good point too, which is when I, when I first got into flood tide fishing or, or fishing for redfish in general, but particularly on flood tides was I was using flies with way too light of eyes and they would never get down to where the redfish were looking, you know? I mean mm-hmm. if their tails are sticking out of the water they're on the bottom. Um not that it's very deep but you know having to get it through that grass it, you definitely need something a lot heavier than uh than you're probably used to throwing for or throwing.
2: Yep. And a lot of and I a lot of my anglers too, especially with my first time clients that, um you know they you, you we get a lot of clients that's like this is the trip they've been waiting for this year and they've, you know, watched every video on YouTube and you know, they can, they can tell you about it, a, about everything, which I love it. I think that's awesome. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of these videos and stuff that they show, they don't show the grass that's under the water. They'll show the grass above it. But a lot of people don't think about, you know, you're, you're fishing flooded grass, which means there's going to be grass under the waterline as well as above the waterline. And you've got to punch through all of it.
3: Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I tell people if you want to get extremely frustrated, you should get flood tide fishing. Uh because yeah. <laughs> you, you'll have the perfect angle, the perfect fish that'll be tailing for five minutes and uh your fly gets caught on, you know, everything, even with the weed guard or or you finally get it kind of right in front of his face and he's twitching you're like, Oh, why is there why am I feeling a lot of weight <laughs> on the end of my line? <laughs> um and it's not a fish, right? Um, exactly, but yeah, it's 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 extremely technical, but it is by far the I would say, epic would be a good word to describe it. Just the the most awesome way to catch a redfish, in my opinion. um It's just very it's, picturesque, I guess you could say.
2: It is. It is the most, in my opinion, the most primitive. I mean, you. A fly with somebody with a stick pushing a boat around.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You know. that's a
0: good way. Yeah. Just a couple kids yeah, out there pulling around. On a I road mean, road. It, it
2: is if you think about it. I mean, you're using pieces of deer and rabbit and you're trying to confuse <laughs> a fish that's actively hunting crab and everything else that this blob of a thing you've tied on a <laughs> right. hook is going to be delicious <laughs> for them to eat it. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it is it is uh that's a great way of describing it um I do want to talk about like noise for a second because I think excuse me I think a lot of people don't understand um how sensitive I I you know redfish but other species of fish are to to noise um And if you fish for them enough, especially like in the winter or in the springtime when there's big schools and they're generally in clear water. Like if you if you step on the deck loud from like, you know, and the school is 25 yards away, they'll turn around unless they're just crazy, feisty and hungry. Um, But a lot of times they'll spook off of that, just barely making any noise um, and one thing that, you know, I don't think flood tide fish are so susceptible to noise for whatever reason, maybe just because there's a lot going on on a flood tide flat, but pulling quietly is, is something that I think is important. Is that something that you're thinking about when you're pulling around on a, on a flood tide flat? Like, oh, there's a, you know, an oyster shell right there. I probably shouldn't put my pole there.
2: Yeah. and. For me, I kind of, and again, there's not like a Bible of flood tide fishing. Like 90% of flood tide fishing is your wing in it because every situation is different. Um, but I like to go before I even get onto the flat, whenever I'm putting my bow onto it, I'm looking at that flat. I'm looking at where I'm seeing water move and I'm trying to figure it out that way of like, okay, I'm going to approach this back corner from this side because there's a harder shoreline. And it's going to cause less sound from that, that pole hitting the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, not every situation you can do that. And every so often you have that, um, that one little piece of oyster shell that you didn't know was there and you come down on that pole and it
3: stinks.
2: But um, for the most part, yeah, I mean, it's, and a lot of times too, you know, you'll focus on being as quiet as you possibly can. And, you know, a mullet will swim by and I call mullet or the snitches of the world, of the, uh, <laughs> of the flat world, you know, they'll spook off and then the redfish will spook off and you've done nothing wrong. But yeah, I would definitely say, you know, sounds a biggie. Um, you know, the trips where you have two, two people on the boat, one sitting in the cockpit, one's on the bow. Um, if you can refrain from dropping those Yeti tumblers on the, uh, <laughs> on the deck that people love to do. <laughs> yeah. Definitely don't do that on a flat. <laughs> yep. But for the most part, uh, sound wise is definitely big, but at the same time, um, when these fish are tailing, they're so focused on trying to eat whatever they're, they're, you know, digging around and rooting for that. If you can almost time it to where when you see that fish tail, you can push up closer.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep
2: compared mm-hmm. to just a fish working around looking for stuff. Um, that's, that's a technique I like to do a lot. Is by see one tailing. I'll get closer and then I'll slow down if the fish stops tailing. Yeah. And then as he tails again, that's when I'll make my approach to get even closer again.
0: Yeah. Got it. Um, how do you ever spin fish when you're uh, flood type fishing? Do you ever have clients that are spin fishing? What's your, yeah. what's your go-to bait for, uh, for that?
2: I'm, man, I am a sucker for a Ned. Um, I love those. I'll use a, a, a lighter, the, uh, the weedless D-Man Ned, mm-hmm. and I'll throw, um, it depends on, it really depends on that you for me anyways, the barometric pressure of the day, if they're being weird or anything like that. If, if there's a lot of tailors, I'm not worried about scent, but if it's fish just sitting on flats, because they're warming up or just to get onto the flat mm-hmm. um i'll use the gulp translucent shrimp um and normally what i'll do is i will cut or just bite the head off of that shrimp and i'll throw it on a ned weedless mm-hmm. um and fish it that way I, I like the shrimp a little bit better than the uh than the trds because in and this is all maybe you know in my head but yeah. You know, it works for me. Um, the paddle on those shrimp tails, they tend to add a little bit more movement than just like a TRD. Yeah. Um, so artificial wise, normally yeah, you're going to be using a Ned with either the, uh, the little Z man shrimp or a Gulf shrimp on the back of it for artificial.
0: Makes sense. And
2: And you're fishing it very similar with just like little tiny bumps and you're yep. letting that fish find it.
0: Yep you 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 hit the nail on the head on what I like to use too, <laughs> so I'm not sure I have too much more to add um but i have had you know i have had some luck with like paddle tails on those um on those i strike texas eye uh rigs and, and that that's worked pretty well but if i had to have you know one it would be <laughs> a gulp shrimp on a mm-hmm. um on a net head for sure
2: and if they're being spooky too, a really good technique is that that's really worked well for me is get a, um, just a curly tail grub and throw that on the Ned and just, and throw it out where a fish is working back and forth on a shoreline and just dead stick it. Yep. And just <laughs> let them find that curly tail.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've really surprised uh myself with how well dead sticking works on super super duper spooky schools this uh this past spring but if i love it if it's got <laughs> sense on it it works really well i love I mean, it I you ha-
2: just sit back and wait <laughs> yeah i mean
0: it's essentially what do they call it uh there's a there's like a slogan for if you um put a carolina rig out there with with a gulp strip on it I think it's called like the redneck Carolina rig or something.
3: It works. <laughs> it does, it works.
0: Yeah. There's no reason not to try it. It works. Um absolutely. Okay, so all right. The last thing I wanna talk about, unless you can think of uh, of something else to to bring up with flood type fishing, is the angle. Um if you had the what is the perfect angle that you think you can you can have to present a redfish a fly or a um uh a ned rig or a, in what is an angle that you will say don't throw right now
2: um any angle to where any angler or any angle where the fly is going to on the uh on that front cast is going to come back and pop me in the back of the head I'm going to say do not cast <laughs> but <laughs> no um so in a perfect world, if I can get it to where my shadow, um, and that's a, that's a lo- that's something that a lot of people don't think about is the shadow of the boat and the and the person's casting because the shadow will one hundred percent spook a fish. Yeah. Um. So if I can get it to where the shadow is facing opposite of whatever side we're we're fishing on, um, normally I don't like the boat to be broadside on a fish because you're just giving more presentation of the boat to that, to the fish. Mm -hmm. Um, cause contrary to popular loop, the redfish can see really well. Um, you know, if you start fishing really clear water, a lot of times when you see them, they see you. Um, so if, and if you can work, work a line, figure out which direction that fish is, is working and just get, you know, ideally two foot in front of it and just have it already, you have your fly already working. Mm-hmm. And when that fish finds it, and that's that's pretty ideal for me. Um, and if there's multiple fish tailing one area, focus on the ones on the outside. Don't just like dive into the center and just like hell marry it. Mm-hmm. Um, focus on your outside fish because a lot of times they'll kind of circulate through. So if you miss one, a lot, you know what I've noticed in the areas I fish. If you miss one or one, you know, turns the other direction there could be another one on the other side of it that wants to go where that one was fishing or that one was just working and mm-hmm. he could see your fly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and one other thing I will say, just a little trick I picked up over the years is if it's a bad presentation or you're moving your fly instead of just picking your fly up real quick or, or, uh, picking your rod up real quick and doing and causing that sound of the water that breaking that suction of the water, mm-hmm. take that fly up slow. And then send it back. If the fish are tailing, they're not. They're not going anywhere. A lot of, a lot of the big mistakes I have seen in the past is people think that if they don't get to fly directly in front of the fish right now, it's gone forever. And that most of the situations, that's not true. It's like take your time, be slow with it. The faster you are, the more movement you're causing, and the higher chances that you're going to have of either throwing a bad shot or the fish seeing you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so take your time pull that pull the pull your rod tip up slow get that fly out of the water slow once you're out of the water you know resend it but while it's in the water don't break that I don't know the technical term for it that that water surface with your fly cuz it that popping noise I have I've spooked fish with that
0: yeah that's a good point that's definitely a good point i think uh you know myself included <laughs> buck fever sometimes when you see tailors and you try and get it out there as fast as possible as fast as possible oh you missed rip it out of the water cast again um so taking your time is, is definitely a, a good piece of advice
2: and i'll say you know everybody thinks that you know you're the guide has the hard job and i completely disagree that back platform in my opinion is the easiest place to be because it's all i have to do is find fish that are essentially waving at you <laughs> on a on a flat you know it's, it's the guy on that front platform that they have to remember all of these things whenever they're sending these shots yeah. so um yeah i mean everybody i even get excited you know i've it, done this for a few years now and it's still i see a tail and fish and i'm just as excited as the uh as the yeah. angler which You know, I guess it's one of those things that whenever I lose my excitement, it'll be time to find another job. But um, until then, I mean, I'm not one—I'm not a guy that gets upset when someone gets excited and throws a cast because they're excited. You know, it's natural um, for them. But I do try to do like a good go over of like, take your time, take your time. They're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not. And that was one of the mistakes I made when I was first starting out. Was you get up to a fish and.
0: (laughs) Oh man, it's a monster.
2: It's a monster. You just see your angler your, your knee start shaking and it's kind of like yeah. maybe maybe I shouldn't have.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. That that also a really good point. Um and something that that also took me a little while to learn is like man, trying to trying to um keep my energy level not from skyrocketing and being like,
3: no, 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 no. Left, 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 left. no, 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 back, right, 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 right.
0: Uh instead of trying to do that, being like like you were saying, just a little bit slower pace, because I I think you're right. Like if, if your angle angler feels like he is not being rushed, he most likely they will throw a, a better cast. At least I would.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I,
2: I tell people all, you know, we have all the time in the world. If you need the boat to move up, tell me if you need a better, pres- if the sun's in your eyes, if you have a weird glare, like tell me, there's a lot of stuff that you're seeing on the bow that I can't see on, on the back platform. Um, so you gotta, gotta communicate with me. And you know, you also have to communicate with me without yelling at me because that'll all, <laughs> 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 so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun.
0: yeah it is fun it is fun um one last thing I wanted to touch on on um flood tides is so for a long time like I said I was using like normal redfish flies uh that that didn't really have the weight to get down and and I was getting frustrated that I just felt like my, those fish would never see my fly. And even if it, even if I felt like it got in front of them and I was twitching it perfectly, still was just like, they're just so um, zoned in on finding these crabs and digging that they just like weren't noticing my fly. And I was like, all right, I got it. There's got to be some, something to do here. And by no means, in my, you know, I'd take zero credit for this cuz people do this all the time but just it here in Wilmington it didn't feel like a lot of people were doing it for whatever reason or at least the people that I was fishing with a lot um and I was like I'm going to freaking throw a gurgler just because like so, something to get their attention off the bottom um and that was a that was a huge game changer for me mm-hmm. uh man you can get you can get a fish that is just Digging and digging and digging, and maybe you've thrown four or five casts w- with a weighted fly, and you think that you've freaking rubbed it right across his nose and he wanted nothing to do with it. And then you put a gurgler on the water and start giving it just teeny little gurgles pop, 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 and they'll just come up and smoke it. And it is super fun to watch, <laughs> and oh, especially absolutely. on a fly. It's
2: hard to beat summer. a topwater bite,
0: it is. But is that something that you do do you do you throw gurglers that much on flood tides?
2: I, I, am terrible about getting in like kind of a comfort zone, and I'm staying in a comfort zone. Um, I throw I like throwing gurglers on around more like shallow oyster beds, mm-hmm. um, just because a lot of the area I'm fishing, you have so much grass on the top on that top layer of water or the surface, uh, of water that it's hard to work. A lot of the gurglers there's now, you know, oh, yeah. there are some flats where I will absolutely throw a gurgler. Um, and even just a regular, bo- like a bath popper. Yeah. Um, works extremely well. Um, but for the most part, I fish a lot of, uh, fishing on the bottom.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it- I don't know. I I think the using the using flies that were not uh, heavy enough for me just led me to the gurgler. And now the gurgler is kind of my comfort bait <laughs> for flood tides. Um, but yet, like you said, there's a window when you can use it and when you can't use it, because like right when I can get my boat onto a flood tide or onto a flat, usually the grass is still too thick to really even have a gurgler make its way through the water um, and have a good presentation. It's like, uh, golly, maybe a 45 minute window. A lot of times when the gurgler, the gurgler is like a really good fly to use because there's enough water. There's still, you know, this is still shallow enough to where you can see them tailing. Um, but there's enough water to really have it, you know, do what it's supposed to do. It is. It's,
2: and, and having the mindset, too, of knowing, hey, let's, let's just switch it up. Yeah, that's right. That's, you know, that's, that's a biggie. A, a lot of people get stuck on, you know, they're, they're scared to change a fly midway yeah. through.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, but sometimes you can, I mean, I've had it before where you can throw, you can throw a shrimp in front of a fish's face and they just don't want it and you switch it up and use a crab. Same everything. It's just a different pattern and they just slam it. Yeah. So the same idea with, with the uh, fishing gurglers in top water. when fish are just focusing on the bottom. It's just something different that's gonna draw their attention away and they're gonna want it.
0: That's right. That's right. Did we miss anything on flood tides?
2: Oh, it's a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> <It's> rabbit hole. <laughs> I could talk floods all day. Um I think I'm trying to think. I think that's that's your your, your biggie. Um I think so too.
0: I think so too. And while while we still got some time we'll why don't we switch to low tide fishing because I got a issue I'm hoping you can give me an answer to. Oh Lord. <laughs> uh my voice is probably all messed up. I've been sick for like a week. Um really? oh no. Kids. <laughs> when you have kids Enjoy. you just constantly get sick. Um all right. So low tide fishing, completely, you know, changing, um, the topic, but here's the issue I have, and here's kind of how I've tried to fix it, but I, I still not, um, still not convinced it's the, it's the best way, but a lot of times on our low tides when you're sight fishing or so you're either fly fishing or you're using a spinning rod and you're really trying to catch like belly crawlers or uh, fish rolling down the bank, popping shrimp and and what have you. Um, But, you know, a lot of times the water is really dirty in the summer. um, And fish will just come up on the bank and smash bait and then right back off the bank. And you're like, okay, where'd they go? And they come up like 10 yards down, smash bait off the bank. And with fly fishing, it's really hard because you're like, I can only see this fish for maybe a second when he comes up and smashes bait and then he's gone comes up smashes bait, then he's gone uh and he's not really belly curling he's just coming up hitting it, and then sliding off the edge and so <laughs> going back to the gurgler topic the, the the best um the best fix I have found for this with fly fishing is is presenting him something with sound because you're just never going to see him and and hopefully he'll just hear that noise and you'll draw him to that. Um, but just blind casting like a heavy, heavier fly or a a sinking fly, um, very little success because you just don't know where he is. And Mm -hmm. with the gurgler has been, you know, the blessing for that, but I'm still not convinced this is the best thing. And then on a spinning rod, I, you know, a lot of times a topwater, it just feels like way too aggressive in super shallow water. Um, I feel like they're way more susceptible to eat something small, like a, like a gurgler that looks, looks and acts more like a little grass shrimp. Um, so that what with spinning rod kind of similar to the flood tide stuff too. what I have found is you just, whichever you get a feel for what direction he's working down the bank. And then you throw a, um, you know, whether it be a a net head or or just a regular old jig head with with a uh, with a gulp shrimp or a gulp jerk shad, and just really slowly giving it a lot of movement but not a lot of retrieve on that bank, and and just hoping that he smells it or feels it and comes up and gets it. But those fish are by far the most frustrating ones to me because they are so dang hard to sight fish. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, do y'all run into that same type of scenario and where you're at?
3: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. And I can really go on a rant about this. Uh, we had about a month straight where we had, uh, high pressure systems
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and the fish, you could see the fish working these little Creek shrimp and you could throw everything at the boat at them and they just, they just wouldn't eat. and you know about the time you're like man screw these fish i'm not gonna whatever we'll move move to another one then you hear them explode on shrimp again again. (laughs) (laughs) in the exact area you were just fishing um so yeah it's those are the most frustrating for me and even worse too the, the, the fish that are like really keep you honest are the ones that are doing that in an area where you can see them um and you can just watch your fly go past their face (laughs) and they're just kind of like, yeah, that's cool. And they keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but our, our high pressure system fish are, I think are probably the, the hardest in my opinion to, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure there's people that'll disagree, but for me anyway, and the way, the way that I figured those fish out is a, uh, I'll put a, I've tried eight, but that didn't, that, you know, that worked for about 30 seconds. So I use about a, I'll, I'll go down to a 12 uh, pound tippet
3: mm-hmm.
2: and put about a three foot section of that on top. So I'll have a 10 foot leader total
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I'll use the smallest, um, the smallest little bonefish fly I can possibly find that yeah. looks just like Creek shrimp. And that I, as soon as we started throwing those, it just that was a game changer for us.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I haven't
2: tried that. Like The size of a dime. I mean, just tiny little bonefish shrimp flies. Natural yeah. colored. Yeah. Wow. And that was, that's the only way I've really been able to say like, okay, I think I might have this figured out. And, you know, now that I've said this out loud, next time I go fish during a high-pressure system, it won't work at all, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, for the time being, that has been the trick for me for and for our, in my opinion, the most frustrating type of fish to fish.
0: Yeah, man. So the easy ones for me are the ones that you can see from and I'm sure this happens um, in Folly Beach too the ones that you can see just steamrolling down a bank popping shrimp and you can just tell where they are because there's just Shrimp popping out, popping out, popping out at the same oh, yeah, the, speed the, the that a right, yeah, <laughs> at the same speed that a redfish would be swimming, you know. And you'll see him come up and slurp on him, then go back down. You can see his wake come up, slurp him a second, and see his wake. For those fish, I just set up like super early because I know exactly yep. the line he's swimming, and you just throw out, get it in a good position, wait, 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 and then kind of once he comes into view of it, just little ticks and that seems to work pretty well and yep. really the same way with the, with the spinning rod. Um, and then be, belly crawlers, they can be tough too. honestly. Um, they can almost for me be like those ones that come up on the bank and then come off and then come up on the bank and come off. A lot of times when they're belly crawling, I just feel like they're, they're so keyed in on, on something. Um, but
2: i completely agree they can be your best friend or your biggest enemy yeah they
0: can they can be great or they can be really hard um,
2: especially your water clarity too cuz them being out of the water you're i feel like you get really limited on the, the presentation that you can have
3: mm-hmm. especially
2: throwing a fly with like the false casting and stuff cuz i'm i'm always like our winter time our water and i, I it's, you know i know it's very similar where you are but our water gets crystal clear in the wintertime.
3: yes and those
2: belly crawling fish they're so you know, they're pretty much their eyes are just barely under the surface. And, you know, it's it's hard to make those right perfect casts, especially with a fly without spooking that fish. Yeah. And then you're fifty fifty again, it's just like what you said, it if if they see it or they're just keyed in on something else.
3: Right,
0: right. Yeah, they're tough. I mean, it's really cool to see, but they, they can be a little tough. Um one tide well. I guess we're talking solely about low tide. I'll touch on this at the end. Um, so going back to those fish that you said that you could see uh, and they wouldn't eat anything other than the teeny little bonefish um, fly, did you find something with a spinning rod that they would eat or were they just way more willing to eat something from a spinning rod like a like a gulp or what have you?
3: So
2: not to keep kicking a dead horse, but dead sticking a Ned is yeah. for those like real finicky fish. I'll downsize. And again, you know, elephant eat peanuts. That's kind of been like my motto over the last couple of months, but I'll use the smallest gear I can, mm-hmm. um, and present it. And I, I feel like a lot of time on those spookier fish scent is more important than it just like moving. I, I want almost a little bit of movement, but a lot of scent. Mm hmm. That's just that's the way I like it. Um you know, a lot of times if you're working plastics you'll just keep one of those jugs of gulp shrimp open at your feet and every like three or four casts do a little little dunk and throw it right back out there. Yep. But yeah, the the small neds work great. Um and even the uh Lord, I'm drawing a blank on it. The little mini paddle tails that Z Man makes, um, they work great.
0: I, th- I know what you're talking about, but i I don't know the name of them either
2: it's, yeah second I get off here, I'll remember it um yeah, they're just they're they're little tiny mini paddle tails, and you're you're basically you're just matching what's what's around them at that point,
3: yeah. yeah, that's true
0: that's true um how do you feel about blind casting at low tide let's say let's let's say uh, i mean i obviously. You, at least I do <laughs> with the spinning rod, I'm going to be blind casting a lot. Um, but with fly fishing, with, with fly fishing, how do you feel about blind casting, um, on low tides? Like say you, it's, you know, maybe they're not showing themselves very well, or maybe it's really cloudy. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're, where you're having, where you or your client is blind casting a fly a lot? Like I, I know you said earlier, um, when we were talking about gurglers that you'd like to throw them around low tide oyster beds, mm-hmm. is that, so
2: yeah, if, if it's a Creek that I know, well, if I'm out scouting and I'm, you know, I'm in an area where I'm, it's unfamiliar, I'm me throwing a fly blind around corners or something. I'm, it's going to be, I'm going to be kind of standoffish more towards finger. Send it, you know, it's mm-hmm. worst case scenario. you it's not a big deal, but for some reason with a fly, I, I get weirder about it. Um, but yeah, those shallow oyster beds, if you, you know, if it's a system, you know, well focus, focus around those beds. Cause a lot of times you can't, I, you know, you have to, especially as summer comes along, your visibility is getting worse and worse. We're already, it's like borderline, you know, fishing in a cup of coffee right now. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, your sight fishing is going to be limited. um, and so, yeah, if you can get up close to those oysters, which a lot of times that top water is going to be your ticket, because uh, a lot of times the fish may be just underneath that surface, you just don't know they're there because of the water clarity.
3: Mm-hmm. So, if you
2: do some top water it, just get it right up against those oyster shells and and just work it back um, in areas that you're not familiar with. You know, you're you're less likely to get hung up on something on the bottom just fishing that way.
0: Yeah, very true very true. Uh that's something uh I tried a lot more of last year. Uh was blind casting a fly when I when I had someone that was really like fly or die. And i particularly on days where maybe the tide got a little higher and there wasn't really anywhere that felt like it was going to be sight fishable or maybe it was really overcast or windy. Um and the fish just weren't acting how we always want them to act, which is, you know, showing themselves for the most part. Uh I I, would, I started having people blind cast and actually had some pretty good success on that. Um not not on Absolutely. Not on dead low tides usually. Uh but yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. <laughs>
2: No, no, absolutely not. And, and if you don't have anything top water and you're dead set on, on putting something in the water, use just something a lot lighter. That's going to have a slow sink.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because again, a lot of times like I've, I've spooked fish in systems that I wasn't familiar with that were just sitting underneath the surface or my, my big enemy, just having a floater, you know, you'll have schools of floaters sitting there and you have no idea they're there on like an overcast day. Yeah. Um, I do not get along with floaters well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people love them. Uh, we're not cool.
0: <laughs> I love floaters. I feel like they're I, just I, so willing to eat.
2: I just haven't had luck with floaters, man. Every time I'm in an area where I know there's floaters, it's always, you know, I, I think I'm doing something wrong with it. I, I have to be because <laughs> some people love them and I am like, no, absolutely not. give me... <laughs> Give me something that's moving. I don't care if it's moving three feet in the water line to where I can just see those deep pushes. Like, give me that before you give me a floater.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: <laughs> <That's>... Yeah. I <sighs> Floaters are my enemy right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll change in the future. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So low tide, man, it, it, it can definitely seem like it's it's such an easy time to catch fish because, especially you know, in situations where they're belly crawling or popping shrimp or whatever. But you know, it can also be frustrating, just like anything else. Um, but I I feel like we touched on the majority of stuff, um, kind of how to deal with those, or at least my and your idea of how to deal with those fish that are just coming up on the edge of a of a bank and busting something, and coming off and how you fish to um, fish that are just going down the bank popping shrimp and, and um, how you fish to belly crawlers, right? Is there anything? A- and blind casting. I don't think I'm missing anything.
2: So on on low tide fish, because low tide is another rabbit hole, really. Um, but with the lows, if you can avoid a slack tide, yeah, obviously – black tides are the, the hardest time to catch one because they want that water movement. Um, I give that pointer a lot with the lows. Like just, you know, if it's slack, use that time to move to another spot. Like fish creeks until the water stops moving and once it stops moving, use that time to move. Yeah. Um, but a little trick that's I've this has been proven great for me with uh, low tide too is if, if you fish systems that you know those systems hold fish but at low those fish them, those systems dry up or they just get you know just a couple inches of water normally those fish are going to be within 100 yards of that creek entrance um they don't want to go especially in our area because our we have our dolphin are like gangbangers of the main system so <laughs> they don't want to get too far from these uh these creek mouths because they're here. just going to get yeah they're going to get messed up by these dolphins <laughs> so a lot of times if if you want to pull main shorelines and you know, like, hey, this creek right here normally has a lot of fish, but it's dry right now, go ahead and start having an angler or you um, start blind casting and hold up against those shorelines. Because a lot of times those fish aren't far from those creek mouths.
0: That's a good point. It's a good pointer. Um, something I didn't think about. But, yeah, that's, it, it holds true for – I think probably most places
2: yes it's, it's it's worked for me um all over charleston county area you know or like it, it, for the type of fish i do or type of fishing I do that trick has worked really well for me um, and then also um like in your summer time or your wintertime like south facing shorelines tend to hold more fish uh Than anywhere else because they're going to warm up the fastest and stay warmer
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and that that's been you know a good one for me to focus on um you know little pointers that i've given people that are starting out trying to find fish and stuff on their own or you know those are two biggies for low tide a lot of people get really discouraged with low tide um but yeah the fish are there you know it's not like they just disappear
0: (laughs) that's right yeah and they should be more concentrated
2: Yes, exactly. They're more concentrated and, uh, you know, piggybacking from earlier discussion of the flood tide, a lot of people, as soon as that water starts coming out, that's when they're like, okay, it's time to go. But then, I mean, a a falling tide from a flood can be an awesome fishing time.
0: Are you on, on, on the flood tide flat or off the flood tide flat?
2: Off the flood tide flat.
0: Got it. Yes. I agree with that. Definitely agree uh, with that. It, yeah, because that—that's one thing. You know, um, if you've ever fished a a flood tide, you you'll notice like how much bait is in the grass, and it's crazy. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like a, a refuge from predators, other than redfish <laughs> and birds. Oh, absolutely. Um, but they all just migrate into the grass to safety, and then just like most predators know where to be as soon as that tide starts falling out those um those redfish will be waiting right on the edge
2: and i've in this area anyway i've I've noticed um that you have more of those i don't again i don't know the technical term for it you know somebody let me know the technical term but uh i call it staging points on falling tides so um if you're fishing a you know, a creek system that has a flooded grass flat at the end and you can't, you have to get off that flat. Focus on these different staging points, whether it's going to be, you know, sharper bends with overlaying grass or oyster bed Cause it's fish. Normally it's going to be, you know, your, your flounder and your trout are going to leave the system first. And then, you know, redfish like to kind of play with fire. They're normally the last ones to leave system. So once you start seeing that bait, get off the flat and start working in the system, go ahead and start trying to target, those areas where there's structure, good sharp bends because those those redfish they're going to follow they're following the bait off of it and then they're mm-hmm. still going to stay in that system and they're just going to work their way back 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 and back until they have to get out of the system. So if you can target those um the staging point, you can be really successful that way as well.
0: Yeah. It's a good point. And it, and it was also a good uh good way of describing it they really do play with fire i'm kind of i'm kind of uh surprised that they're so good at it because you never see like i don't know i mean i've definitely seen trapped redfish but like a not, dried, up, yeah. dried up redfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like oh dang that guy stayed up there a little too long <laughs> trying to get his fiddler crabs in um <laughs> i don't know i guess i guess you it would probably be that fish if he does die there wasn't isn't going to last long there so um you gotta, yeah you
2: gotta get that gene out the herd yeah <laughs> <laughs> right um, that would be funny but no i mean they'll cross oyster beds like you know don't belly flop over oyster beds. yeah it's, it's funny how they know exactly when that water line they yeah. got to get out of there
0: yeah it's wild it's wild um well, I think that does it man. I can't think of anything i think I can't think of anything else and I think we covered a lot of stuff that we talked about um trying to cover in this episode uh so i appreciate you uh i appreciate you coming on man
2: yeah absolutely man i uh I really appreciate the invite I've been a fan for a long time
0: well, we have to um tell us where we can find you on social media and then um, your website as well?
2: So I have Facebook and Instagram. It's Tidal Waters Guideservice. Uh, website, Tidal Waters Um, You know, call, text. I'm, I'm pretty good at responding to just about anything, um, whether it's just advice or you want to book a trip. Um, I'm out of Folly Beach. I fish Folly River, Sono, Kiowa, um, the whole South side of of the area.
0: Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, we will, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again here in the future when we, uh, when we want to talk flood tides and fishing down in Charleston, which golly, I need to go down there so bad. Anytime, man. I, I have fished down there two times in my life, which is crazy to me. And one was for the Taylor's cup and I saw, I think two tailors (laughs) and I was like, yeah, I need to go with someone who knows this area. Um, yeah, we'll have to link up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man.
0: All right, man. Talk to you soon.
2: I appreciate it.